Roger that, Houston. All systems five by five. But what if there is no tomorrow? There wasn't one today. Welcome to the Nerdfest podcast. This week's nerds are Andy Chandler, Harris Gibson, Peter Johnson, John Parvin, and I'm Hazel Burton. On our show today, it is Buff or Bluff time, where we try and outwit each other with some true and made-up facts, which you can play along to at home. Plus, we have the return of Shameful Gap, which is when one of us has to confess to not seeing a famous movie and watch it for the very first time. And this time, guys, the gap is bigger than the gap between certain members of the royal family because the film, <laughs> <laughs> the film we're going to discuss today is the iconic Jaws. You'll find out later on who hasn't seen it. So let's start our show. Hey, Karis. Hi. Welcome back. Thank you for having me. I've just noticed that John's name is Johnny Shitbuckets. I changed it once and I, I can't change it back. <laughs> okay. <laughs> no, it's it's fine. It's it's working for you. Yeah. I feel like it's important in business meetings to give an indication of what you're going to get. <laughs> <laughs> so how is everybody this week? Doing all right. Oh, learning to adjust to a post-WandaVision world. It's difficult, isn't it? Yeah. It's hard to measure the week. The days just blend into one now. It is good being able to go on the internet on a Friday again, though. Frankly, <laughs> yeah. I don't do much work Monday to Thursday because of Twitter and Facebook. You just catch up on the one day. Yeah, I'm approximately 80% more efficient on a Friday because I'm trying to avoid spoilers. What, what I loved is that it turned into a proper event where everybody could get excited about it collectively. Um, mm. Everyone was just so excited to discuss it afterwards. I love that it became an event series. It's interesting that Netflix have this big thing about dumping everything at once, like a whole series so you could binge. But it seems a lot of services are moving away from that now. And I think WandaVision worked in part because it was a you know sustained discussion amongst pretty much everyone we knew for about eight weeks mm -hmm. about what was going to happen next and so on. Yeah. That's because it's a mystery box show where it's all mm -hmm. about the mystery and second guessing what's going to happen. Mm -hmm. It might not suit, say, the next one, which is The Falcon and the Winter Soldier, which I think is going to be a bit more smashy and actiony. The embargo is up and the first episode has got some positive reviews and people are saying there's a lot of action in there, but also it's a bit deeper than people are expecting, particularly I think, with, I think Falcon has been blipped. They both were. So it explores what becoming unblipped after five years would be like in a little bit more detail. Hmm. That's good. I hope so. In, in a way, I hope, even though they've got massive budgets, trying to hit more of a TV budget will kind of force them into more interesting mm. intellectual mm -hmm. spaces would be good rather than just destroying cities. But, I mean, you were talking, Peter, that you watched the new Superman TV series. Yeah, it's not good. Superman <laughs> and Lois. But part of the reason was that it looked very cheap because you've kind of been spoiled by Disney ridiculous budget on one division looking like a feature film. It had the age-old thing of him rescuing a whole bunch of people on a bridge, including the school bus. Oh. And it just looked like Matchbox toys, really. It wasn't good at all. Mm. We're getting a new Superman, aren't we, as well, which I don't know an awful lot about. But one of the things is going to be a, a person of colour playing Superman. Yeah, they're talking about Michael B. Jordan. Ooh, Ooh, that would be good. Okay, I think that'd go down well with everybody. Yes, I mean, I cannot see any sections of the internet <laughs> that would not, not, not be happy with that as a concept. <laughs> but um, just, just going back to WandaVision for a second, and we, we won't go into spoiler territory because despite us thinking that everyone in the world has watched this show, there will be people who haven't. Are we happy? Are we fulfilled by the last episode? Very much so, yes. Some people had unrealistic expectations of what was going to happen and who was going to turn up. And some people perhaps wanted a quieter ending than we got. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. They tried to tie everything up in one episode and mm -hmm. they maybe had too many threads to serve all the characters properly. But the good thing is they did mm -hmm. stick to the themes they'd been exploring through the rest of it. They didn't just have some huge guy from the movies come in and solve everything for them, which would have been terrible. Yeah. 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 I think the um, the key for me is it got me on an emotional level. Um, mm. I really, really cared about what happened to these characters and, and, and how the show was progressing. It takes a lot, you know, at the, at the moment to make me just not want to glance at my phone and just 
pay full attention to, to what's going on and I just got sucked into the WandaVision world. Hopefully not literally. Hopefully it's not. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Hopefully this is me. Well, um, but we yeah. have all arranged the screen like the Brady Bunch on the yeah. uh, video chats. So. If you wanted them to do any sitcom that they didn't do, what would you have liked them to see? Bottom. <laughs> Blackadder. Oh, that would have been great. Yeah. Yeah. They should have had more British consultants. Yeah. The thick of it. Yeah. Someone very swearing. That would have to be on Star. <laughs> yeah. Fuckity bye. Originally, apparently, they were going to keep the TV theme, and it was only fairly late on that they, they limited it to sitcoms. So the, the episode where we go outside of Westview and we see it from a different point of view. Which is episode four, I think? Four. Yeah. Um, that was originally rather than a straight episode. They were talking about playing that as like a CSI episode. Ooh. Um, I heard a weird piece of news today, which is that Avatar is now, again, the number one mm. highest box office in the world. I It's saw just that. overtaken from Endgame again. Why is that? Uh, there was a Chinese re-release and it gained an extra eight or nine million over the weekend. Ah, because the Avengers have never been that big in China, have they, or the Marvel? Oh, is that Star Wars? So they actually get the massive box office in China. I think they were saying Star Wars was never going to be the highest grossing film of all time because the original trilogy didn't get released in China. Why didn't it get released? They only have a limited number of Western releases a year and a lot of big Western films didn't get released over there. So back in the 70s and 80s, Star Wars wasn't a cultural thing in China like it is in most of the rest of the world. So there wasn't that massive excitement for the, the, the sequels that everybody else had. So the first exposure to Star Wars that the Chinese people had was Phantom Menace. <laughs> it explains a lot. It does. <laughs> yeah, I saw that tweet from Marvel essentially handing the baton back to James Cameron and, and Avatar. And they did a nice little image which they had endgame and it's they sort of dusted it a bit <laughs> to uh, have avatar come back to uh, the number one position they're plotting a re-release aren't they oh, yes. yeah of course oh, they yeah. are <laughs> this is a temporary uh, truce i think but obviously avatar has you know the sequels coming Do they, and the theme park rides and things well eventually <laughs> how, how many are there six seven <laughs> 20. It goes up every time you hear. Essentially, um, the the reopening of cinemas is just going to be the Avatar sequels that James Cameron has been piling up for the last 18 months. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'll still go because yeah. I'll be in a cinema. <laughs> um, I'll, watch, I'll watch anything. I'll watch Cannibal Holocaust in the cinema. <laughs> so do we think Black Widow will actually have cinemas to play in? I yes. really hope so. It's right on that line, isn't it? Um, so in the UK... Cinemas look to be opening. I think it's something like mid-May, mm, which is which is pretty much when it's due. But w- what a wonderful film to be your first film back in the cinema. So, mm. Be, be yeah. careful what you wish for, because we did think that about Wonder Woman at one point. This is true. <laughs> oh, how disappointed would we have been if we'd been locked down for nearly a year, and then the first time we got out to go to the cinema, we saw Wonder Woman 1984. <laughs> I would have locked myself down again voluntarily. <laughs> I'm <laughs> ripping my mask off and licking the seats just to. <laughs> <laughs> Should we do a buff or a bluff? Let's. Yes, let's. Excellent. So uh, this is um, a game that we love to play, uh, buff or bluff. It's when we have three facts, but we have deviously made one of those facts up. So we have to try and guess which one is the bluff. Um, who fancies going first? As people know, um, Amazon Prime is a great service. <laughs> yes. It has one or two good films on it, one or two mediocre films, and some appalling, appalling shite. Mandy's on there, isn't it? I was about to say, are you <laughs> plugging for a sponsorship deal? But um, I'm not so sure now. <laughs> Am I right in thinking that people can now just upload their own videos to Amazon Prime if they want? I think you, ha- you can be doing that for a while. Yeah. It would explain a lot. <laughs> Um, so I have found three films on Amazon that I think you may want to watch. Or not. One of them is made <laughs> up. Your first film is Mutant Teenage Turtles, a Polish film that came out several years ago. And um, obviously, I think it was retitled for an American audience. It's set in the aftermath of Chernobyl, humankind has abandoned it and just the animals are left there and who have mutated over a period of number of years. So you're saying these are literal turtles? These are literal turtles that have mutated and become larger and nature has found a way, so to speak, around Chernobyl. Uh, But when a group of tourists 
find that the radiation level has dropped down enough for people to revisit. The turtles must fight to protect their homeland and habitat from the invading humans that want to turn Chernobyl into a theme park. That sounds great. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) Okay. Okay, that's number one. Your second film is Inhuman Witch. Bluff. Bluff. <laughs> and a astronaut. I'm just going to check the cricket score while John reads this out. <laughs> Again, there's a radiation theme to all of these, I should mention. Following a radioactive accident in outer space, a scientist comes back to Earth, but he is not himself. He has, in fact, been chased into a giant slab of evil meat. Who is obsessed He's with got devouring. the biggest grin on his face, by the way, <laughs> listeners. <laughs> Never trust a grinning, John. Unlike eating a sandwich, this sandwich eats other people. <laughs> I'm so excited for the third one. <laughs> what a standard you've set, John. Finally, the thingy, or to give it his full title, the thingy, Confessions of a Teenage Placenta. A a female bodybuilder gives birth to a living placenta called Luke. She decides to raise it as a human son in the Christian faith. When the religious Christian placenta goes to a school, he faces ridicule from his friends and their girlfriends. But when Luke is pushed too far, what will the human placenta do? Oh, John, you have just, you've made inhuman, which sound plausible. <laughs> I'm so pleased that two of those are real. Yes. But which two? I mean, I'm, I'm most convinced by the first one. That sounds most likely to be a real film. It's, yeah, that just seems like a plot that a lot of people would come up with, mutant things coming out of Chernobyl. Mm. Although, title, copyright... Well, I think it's a, like an asylum type thing, you know, where they get as close, because it's, it's specifically mutant teenage turtles. Yeah, but... So they switch the, they switch the <laughs> There's word. There's no way that would stand up in court. And are the, are the lead characters Leonardo? No, no, no. The lead characters are Hurst and Emin. Ah! Oh, so they've gone because for... Because everyone like, goes for, like, modern artists to yeah. name their turtles after. I, I assume that's, again, it's in... Because I don't know what the Polish original was, but this is like the English dub. And it's very badly dubbed, so I think some of these references were, 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 were put in. <laughs> I do think I believe that one, so it's either Inhumanwich in or Humanwich. the placenta thing. <laughs> thingy. The thingy. <laughs> I mean, I've been in front of certain Subway sandwiches where I thought, actually, that has the potential to eat me instead of the other way around, but <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. It's really six of one and half a dozen of the other, isn't it? <laughs> I personally would watch all of these movies. They sound brilliant. <laughs> Two thirds of them you can find on Amazon Prime. Excellent. I, are you seriously going to try watching any of these? I, I, I love a shit film. I really do. It's a good laugh. <laughs> you, you, yeah, I, I, I think you'll find that Human Witch is a masterpiece. <laughs> hmm. Hmm. Uh, which of those sounds the most John? I think the third. I don't believe either of the second two. No, I, I, I think Inhuman, Inhumanwitch sounds the most John. Um, I just think the placenta is an odd one for you to go for. Like, mm-hmm. it's an odd body part for you to pick. If you want to see the teenage placenta, it is, you know, it's front and centre in the film. It has eyes mm-hmm. and a mouth. <laughs> How does it move around? It, it kind of slithers. <laughs> it's, it, I mean, it, it looks... Kind of placenta-like at the beginning, and then it grows to a decent size. And it's baptised by a Catholic priest who doesn't look happy about what he's doing. <laughs> so you've seen this film, have you, John? I have, I have seen this film, but have I seen it in my head or on a TV screen? In your head, I've decided. <laughs> I'm going for the thingy as the bluff. I don't know. I really don't know. Only because it's a terrible title, I'm going for, what was it, Ham Sandwich? In, in Human Witch. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I, I think I'm going to go for that one as well. I am going to go for the placenta. It sounds like something wonderful that John's imagined. So we've got two placentas and two In Human Witches. There's a phrase yep. you don't often hear. Uh, um, uh, well, I will tell you, the thingy, Confessions of a Teenage Placenta, is a real film. Oh, oh my god. Oh, brilliant. Guys, <laughs> as is Inhuman Witch. 
The mutant teenage turtles proves that I cannot make up something as crazy as exists in the annals of Amazon Prime. That's Very insane. Bravo, we are John. definitely Amazing. in the Scarlet Witch's hex. Well, as, as your as your punishment for getting it wrong, you can divide the two films between yourselves and uh, report back for the next podcast. That sounds fair. It's all right. Keris will watch both of them for us. <laughs> <laughs> nice. I'm so pleased. Well, John's idea has made mine look much more sensible than I thought it was. Go for it. Oh, I don't know. I, I don't want to follow that. I have a very sensible one. <laughs> okay. Should we have like hills and valleys of sensibleness? And I'll, I can go next. <laughs> okay. All right. So as March is Women's History Month and a few weeks ago we celebrated International Women's Day, I thought I would theme my buff or bluff on women's movements that have been started by female actors. Two of these movements are real. One of them I have made up. Okay. Number one. Emma Watson launched the He for She campaign in 2014, which is a solidarity movement for the advancement of gender equality. So it involves men and boys in achieving equality by taking action against negative gender stereotypes and behaviours. Okay. All right. Number two. Hollywood actor Jean Arthur, who began her career in silent films and is possibly most famous for her role in Mr. Smith Goes to Washington in 1939, used the profile from that role to encourage more women to take an active part in politics. She formed a campaign called It's Your Future Too, which built on the work of the suffragettes from the previous couple of decades, and it provided political experience for many of the early women pioneers in Congress, including getting Margaret Chase Smith to become the first woman to serve both Congress and the Senate in 1948. Mm-hmm. And number three is Jamila Jamil of The Good Place fame, and she founded the body positivity Instagram account, I Way. That is inspired by a picture that she came across online of Courtney, Kim and Khloe Kardashian and Kendall and Kylie Jenner, which detailed each woman's weight and pitted them against each other. So the account welcomes submissions of followers' non-edited or airbrushed selfies using the hashtag I Way um, and just text describing the things that they feel grateful for or proud of. Three women's movements started by female actors. Which one did I make up? The Jamila Jamil one. I know she's known almost as much as an activist as she is as a, yeah. an actor. Yes. And I think mm-hmm. I recall seeing the hashtag in her tweets sometimes. So I'm going to say that one's true. Yeah. Hermione. Mm-hmm. Or was that the he for she movement? So it seeks to yeah involve men and boys to kind of take note of negative gender stereotypes and sort of help a joint movement towards getting rid of the pay gap and um, just mm-hmm. yeah, negative uh, stereotypes and things like that for equality. I'm sure I've heard things about Emma Watson and uh, activism. I'm, I'm quite certain that she would be interested in something like that. So that sounds yeah. very plausible. Didn't she do this thing where she was hiding books around cities? That's littering. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was The Handmaid's Tale. I remember she did this thing where she was posting herself hiding books in places and you could keep it if you found it. Hmm. I've not heard that, but I believe it. He for she just sounds like a title designed to wind J.K. Rowling up. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, we know Hazel has uh, opinions on Emma Watson or certainly her performance in the movies. Oh, they're, they're nothing to do with the person, Emma Watson. I just, uh, yeah, Hermione is my favourite character for the books and I really didn't like her portrayal. But that's probably not Emma Watson's fault considering she was 10 at the time. She <laughs> yes, was that cast. would be slightly unfair to blame her for that. <laughs> yeah, she was directed to be this hoity-toity um, little shit. <laughs> so I don't, I, I, I probably have uh, unfair feelings towards her, but it's not as a person. It's just of her, her one portrayal. But, but unfair enough to make up that she's a nice person just so you can go, no, that's a lie. <laughs> <laughs> I do have a vindictive streak. <laughs> now, do, we, do we think she would pick something from 1939 or whenever it was? I do. Uh, well, Hazel and I, a couple of weeks ago, did watch Mr. Smith Goes to Washington for the first time. So there is a chance that this has inspired um, a clever bluff. Uh, I'm sorry to say I've forgotten the, the actor's name. What was she called? Jean Arthur. Uh, also, I know, I know you're reading the, the Women vs. Hollywood book at the moment, and she's possibly somebody that might come up in an early chapter of that book. 
but I don't know her name. And I remember Mr. Smith Goes to Washington and I don't remember any campaigns as a result of that film. And you would think that it would be quite well known as a result. So I'm going to go for that as the bluff. I'm going to pick Emma Watson for the bluff. Because I think Hazel does want to be vindictive. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like I know that the first one's a bluff. The first one, yes. Mm -hmm. I'm going to go for Emma Watson as the bluff. Right. So um, I wasn't being vindictive this time. Uh, Yes, Emma Watson did launch the movement at the UN, actually, and uh, her speech has got um, nearly four million views on YouTube. It went pretty viral. And on behalf of all men, I apologise for not listening. Yeah. (laughs) I apologise for not listening. Yeah, check it out. Um, it's, it's a really interesting campaign in and of itself. Um, it, it points to studies showing that 257 more years, that's what it's going to take to close the gender gap. You know, 95% of the world's CEOs and heads of state being men, that illustrates the need for male allyship. So it's all about um, trying to inspire more males to become allies towards the equality movement. So yeah, worthwhile cause. Do check it out. That's the He for She campaign. Yeah, I think everybody knew this. Uh, Jamila Jamil, very much an activist as much as she is an actor. Uh, and the I Weigh campaign is is very, very real. Um, do you check that out and have a look at all the body positivity posts? I Weigh does sound like Apple's trying to sell you a $500 pair of scales. <laughs> yeah, oh God. <laughs> I did make up uh, Jean Arthur. I, I, I'm not sure if she was involved in politics, but I just uh, thought that um, since we did watch that film a couple of weeks ago, which is really, really good, um, and given the, the given the, the, the era, I thought I might do a political one. Um, but it is true that Margaret Chase Smith was the first woman to serve both Congress and Senate, but I don't think she had Jean Arthur's help to get there. Mm, very well mm. bluffed. That one surprised me. Uh, but yeah, I think you double bluffed me there because I thought it was maybe too obvious that we had seen the film a few weeks ago and then you've come up with that and I've, I've overthought it is what I've done, <laughs> <laughs> which is rare for me. Do you want to do your silly bluff now, Andy? Uh, yes, let's. Um, so I have recently discovered that in the 1960s in the Philippines, they were very much fans of knockoff Hollywood adaptations. So here's three unauthorised Filipino Batman adaptations, uh, two of which are real <laughs> and one of which is not. Number one, we have Batman Fights Dracula from 1967. Mad scientist Dr. Zorba, tired of Batman foiling his evil schemes, attempts to rid himself of his nemesis by resurrecting Count Dracula using the awesome power of electricity. Okay. <laughs> Isn't that Frankenstein? You'd think so, but nope, Dracula. <laughs> Don't think too much about it. I fell into that trap. <laughs> you did it when you made it up, sir. Sure. We'll, we'll see. <laughs> Number two, James Batman. The evil organisation CLAW threatens the world with nuclear annihilation unless all countries submit to their rule within five days. Humanity's only hope is the combined efforts of Batman and James Bond, hence James Batman, (laughs) who must overcome mutual hatred to work together and save the day. Wow. (sighs) You don't need to carry on. (laughs) Well... Number three, carry on, Batman. (laughs) (laughs) Number three, Batman versus the hippies. But I'm glad you did carry on. (laughs) When psychedelic hippies bring their drugs and loud music to Manila, Filipino authorities call in Batman to eliminate the tie-dye menace. He dons flares and a poncho to go undercover in the hippie movement and destroy them from the inside. Brilliant. Really? I can't imagine that last bit. Mm. I love the crossover idea, and I know you like crossovers. My... Instinct is to go for the middle one with with James Bond about overcoming their hatred. I assume they had a uh, the same mother or something. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think that might be might be the bluff. I'm going to step away from this because unless Andy isn't aware of it, I think I know. So I'm going to not spoil you it. You know, you know your Latino Batman, do you? No, but I know one of them as something else, quite famously. I don't know what you're talking about. Andy has been known to make stuff up that is actually true. <laughs> yes, yeah. there was once when he made up yeah. the idea of the Starship Enterprise in Vegas and it yeah. was actually a real plan. Um, <laughs> Andy, if I said artist, would that mean anything to you? No. Pop art, particularly. Andy Warhol. Andy Warhol. Um, is something like, is it Flesh for Dracula? Something? No, What's Andy the... Warhol made uh, a film called Batman vs. Dracula in the 60s, a short 
short art film called Batman vs. Dracula. Oh, this is completely different. It's called Batman Fights Dracula. Oh, okay. <laughs> different concept. The other two are both... Right, so the, the, you understand the rules of the game, Andy, that you're supposed to... Only, only one of them's supposed to be made up. <laughs> this is exactly what I was thinking when you were talking about the sandwich man. <laughs> Uh, so what's what's Batman got against hippies? Oh well, it's a a little bit of a propaganda piece, I think. And Batman was a popular character, and they just didn't like the idea of hippies. And um, I think it was a government project <laughs> to dissuade uh, the Filipino youth of the I think it was early seventies to not go into uh, the hippie subculture because mm-hmm. Batman might punch them in the face. I think that's the bluff. I'm not sure it's necessarily Filipino, but I, I'm certainly aware of countries doing James Bond knockoffs, so I could see them quite easily wedging James Bond and Batman together. So I'm going to, I'm going to go for Batman versus the long hairs as the bluff. <laughs> yep, same here. Are you forgetting that number two is entitled James Batman? <laughs> I'm going to change my mind and say that James Batman is the bluff. <laughs> I think all of them are wonderful, um, and but I, yeah, I think I think James Batman is an Andy special. James Batman is an amazing title for a movie. I think the hippie one sounds quite real, so I think I'm going to go for James Batman. Enlighten us, Andy. James Batman is real. Yes. Oh no. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I've lost, but I get to see James Batman. <laughs> <laughs> you may regret and, that. Uh, also real, sadly lost to history though, um, is Batman Fights Dracula. I made up Batman versus the oh. Hippies. Hey. Well done. Thank you very much. I was really, really pleased when I found James Batman because it's such a stupid title. It just sounded like the kind of idiotic thing I would make up. <laughs> Karis, what have you got for us? That's a mouthful of water. It's a mouthful of water. <laughs> or is it? <laughs> is that your bluff? <laughs> so, I'm going to be talking about one of my favourite horror movie franchises, which is Scream. Mm. Number one. <laughs> <laughs> to maintain the utmost secrecy surrounding the killer's identity, the cast of Scream 2 was not told who the killer was until the final day of filming. Mm. Number two. Wes Craven would leave the ghost face mask in the actors' changing rooms to freak them out. Hmm. Number three. While filming the opening scene, Drew Barrymore accidentally dialed 911. The prop master had forgotten to unplug the phone. (laughs) And did the emergency services turn up? The emergency services were very alarmed and were trying to get in touch with the crew. I've seen Scream 2. And it was terrible. And I don't remember who the killer was. So I completely believe that they just stapled a page at the end with going, oh, and it was Skeet Ulrich's corpse all along or something like that. I think I've heard that before, that they didn't tell the actors who was the killer until they absolutely needed to. There are some where they film multiple endings to reveal different people on mm-hmm. the job. Yeah. It's not an episode of EastEnders, though, is it? <laughs> Well, Clue famously, they filmed lots of different endings and then whichever one you went to see at the cinema, you got a different randomised yes. ending. And obviously, if you watch it on DVD, you get, and it could have happened this mm-hmm. way, and you get all the endings. I love that movie. What, what, what sort of um, phones did they use at that time? Did they have mobile phones? What year was it? 99? No, I think it? it was earlier than that. I think it might have been 95, maybe. Because obviously a mobile phone could be connected and you might not realise. Was it on a wire or was it like the type you carry around the house? It was pre-mobile phone, wasn't it? So it was like the old school, the, the old mm. brick that you would have and you pull the aerial up and it would connect mm-hmm. to a, a base unit and occasionally get your next yeah. door neighbour's calls. Because she was, she was walking around the house like making popcorn and stuff. She wasn't connected to a wire. But it was a landline rather than a mobile. Yes. So it could have Which been. begs the question of if they're building a studio set of a house, why would they put a real phone in there connected to a real phone mm. line? Mm. So was it on location or was it a studio? I'm not sure. I mean, it looked like a real house, but that's kind of the job. <laughs> that's the idea. <laughs> that's the idea. <laughs> they did have a studio set of it built for when she has to visit the studio set of the movie they're making about her oh, yeah. life. Stab. Yeah. Okay. That one's suspicious. Wes Craven scaring his cast intentionally. 
Wes Craven was famously like a really, really nice guy. Yeah. Because um, uh, it's one of these people where there's the juxtaposition between the terrible, horrible films he made and him being an a- absolute <laughs> sweetheart. And I, you know, I've, I've read a lot about him. He's one of those people that nobody has got a bad word to say about. Yeah. Unlike most directors. Like, yeah. I mean, yeah. Like, it's the opposite of Hitchcock. Quite rare. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Cameron. You're James Cameron, you uh, John McTiernan's who dropped Alan Rickman <laughs> a lot further than he was anticipating. Yeah, and he also, you know, he famously his sets were a lot of fun and relaxed places. I can't imagine being the sort of person who would like just scare an actor to try and get a slightly better performance from them or any, anything like that. Unless he was trying to settle them and kind of get them in a in a f- sort of jovial oh, by uh, putting a mood. bloody mask of a serial killer <laughs> in the corner oh this will settle him down here's a man with a knife surprise well or uh, yeah okay, <laughs> it could have yeah. been a friendly camaraderie uh team joke um everyone got it at some Axe point murdery yeah. sort of it's a bonding experience didn't jared leto send people like use condoms <laughs> and did that sort of something to get into being the joker the role yeah. of the jo- being the joker yeah um, <laughs> Do you think they told him not to do that when they were yeah. doing the Justice League reshoots? <laughs> yeah, Jared. Okay. Like none of this shit, please. Yeah. Can you come in for half a day? Uh, I don't know. I, do, I kind of just think the telephone one's just a bit too implausible. They're all good bluffs, but mm. Uh, mm. yeah. And I think I've heard the, the, the thing about not telling the actors. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I see. I really don't know between the, 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 the second and third one because the second one doesn't sound like something Wes Craven would do. The third one, I just cannot get my head around the fact that somebody would build a fake house with a real telephone line going to it, because that seems to be a lot of effort, something you would have to do deliberately. Mm. I'm going to go for the, the telephone being a bluff. Yep, same for me. Same for me. Yeah, I think I'll go for the phone as well. I can't believe that anyone would do such a, a rookie mistake as to leave a phone attached on set. I think Hollywood has higher standards than that. Everyone is <laughs> Despite the deeply professional yeah. and attentive. And I mean, this was Hollywood in the 90s. I mean, there's no chance they were just yeah. all off doing shitloads of cocaine and forgot to unplug the phone, is there? <laughs> it's a good point, John, uh, in which case I'm switching to number two. Where's Graven? Mask. Very good, guys. So I can reveal that the bluff that I made up was... The mask. So Andy was right. Ah. Wes Craven did not leave the Ghostface mask leaving around. However, the actor who played the voice of Ghostface would call the actors up and leave them weird messages. Mm. Mm. But maybe that's why it was connected. Yes. Actually, I guess if she's acting and she wants the voice of the other end of the phone to act against, that kind of makes sense, doesn't it? Sarah Michelle Geller, between her takes, would have conversations with the actor who played the voice of Ghostface, and she would rile them up and get reactions out of them. And nobody officially knew who the actor who played Ghostface was. All oh, right, right, Peter, your buff or bluff? Um, these are three animated movies from a studio called Toyland in Brazil who seem to specialise in ripping off Pixar and DreamWorks movies. Uh, for example, they might have such dubious titles as A Car's Life or Ratatouing. <laughs> so number one, What's Up, which is subtitled Balloon to the Rescue. As you can probably guess, there's a rip-off of Up, also released in 2009. Its Amazon description is, Packed with magic and eye-popping animation, What's Up? Balloon to the Rescue takes off with a bang when the brilliant but befuddled Dr. Crumb discovers a magical stone that turns his house into a hot air balloon. The discovery allows Crumb and his trusted brainiac companions to pursue a heroic career of monster chasing. But soon the criminal-minded Jean-Pierre hatches a particularly diabolical plan which sends this airborne voyage to a new level of turbulence. Number two. Shock Story 2, The Codfather. So this was released about a year after the DreamWorks Shark Tale movie. And it's the fishy tale of Joey, a young shark in line to take over the family business of his father, crime boss Don Julio. He rejects the old ways and tries to live his life differently as a schoolteacher. But the death of his father puts him in a difficult position when his new friends discover who he really is. And he has to decide whether to put friends or family obligations first. And number three. Chopkick Panda. I assume you can guess what that's a rip-off of. 
Um, karate Kid. <laughs> Originally to be called Taekwondo Panda, this 40-minute Feast for the Eyes was released in 2001 to capitalise on anticipation for Kung Fu Panda 2. A fat, lazy panda named Zebo dreams of becoming a master of martial arts, but is stuck as a mere cleaner for a dojo. Little does he know that an evil tiger has plans to take over the kingdom and he must stop him. So which is the bluff? Hmm. Uh, I have a little bit of detail on that last one, which is apparently that uh, Netflix received a hell of a lot of criticism for streaming it from people annoyed it having been taken in. Like, I've, I've not seen Up. <gasps> and it's not a shameful gap because like, why do I want to watch an old man watch his wife die? <laughs> Spoilers. Well, it's not as it says. It's the start of the film. Like, real Pixar, stop killing everybody. You know, it's it, it's Pixar. beautiful. You have no soul, John. I mean, it's heartbreaking, but it's beautiful. No, I, I do have a soul, Peter. That's why I don't want to watch it. If I, I, I want to watch a cartoon. <laughs> I want to watch fun and excitement, not 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 the death of an old lady. It's worth it for uh, Squirrel. Squirrel. <laughs> John has no idea what we're talking about now. No, I've not seen Ratatouille either. That's good. I've seen this one, I think. Not seen it, but I, I think I've come across it. Because I remember thinking this is shameless. No, shameless is something else. <laughs> no, <really> Gallagher's. Um, <laughs> I think there was some official Kung Fu Panda shorts that were on Netflix <laughs> at the time of the films. I think you tried to double bluff us because I think we'll vaguely remember some Kung Fu Panda shorts on Netflix. Would I do that? Now, Shark Tale if I remember correctly, has very godfathery vibes, yeah. like Martin Scorsese is in it. Yeah. So it could be that you're following the natural progression of The Godfather with The Godfather Part 2 and introducing those tones. Or it could uh, be that they have no imagination at all. I love the idea of like Shark's Tale 2 or Shark Story 2 combined like flashbacks and prequel and sequel elements while thematically enriching the first film and giving you a deeper understanding of the characters like <laughs> The Godfather 2 but I'm guessing that might not be the case yeah one other weird detail for Shark Story 2 is that it has a 2 in the title but as far as I can tell there wasn't a Shark Story 1 so they named it to make it sound like it was a follow up to Shark's Tale and suck people in on that mm. but there never was a Shark um. Story 1 I was going to ask about that. Seemed a strange choice. Yeah, that, that was quite common in Italian exploitation films of the 70s. So um, hmm. Dawn of the Dead was released in Italy as Zombie. And then Zombie Flesh Eaters, which is entirely unrelated, was released as Zombie 2. And there's an Alien 2 and that sort of thing. Uh, they were completely unrelated, so it was a, a popular thing. Hmm. Now, I could be thinking of the wrong thing, uh, but I'm a fan of Dave Gorman and he has a show called Modern Life is Goodish. It's a great show. He has at one point um, done a bit about similar Pixar ripoff films. And if it's the same people, the same studio, then I feel like I've heard of the Up one and the Ratatouille one and can't think that I've heard of Shark Story. So on that very flimsy basis, I'm going to guess that Shark Story is... Ratatouille wasn't one of the ones I had. The other one was Chopped Kick Panda. That as well. Yeah. I've heard of... <laughs> I've lost all confidence now. I'm still going to go... <laughs> I'm still going to go for the fish one because I think you think it sounds fishy. You have just really enjoyed yourself when you've come up with Codfather. Interestingly, I've lost all confidence now. As I know my sex type. <laughs> so many sex types. All on VHS for some reason. House is full. Yep, yeah, I'm going to go for uh, Sharky Tail as the bluff. I'm going for Chopkick Panda. And Karis? I'm going to go for the third one, the Panda movie. Chopkick Panda is a real one. Oh, yeah. what? no way. As was What's Up, Balloon to the Rescue. Yay. The one I made up <laughs> was Shulk Story 2. Thank you, Dave Gorman. <laughs> okay, so yes, now it's time for Shameful Gap, where one of our nerds humbly confesses to never having seen a famous film. They watch it for the first time and they talk about their experience on the pod. So, which nerd has got the shameful gap today? Hey, it's me. Oh, and what is the crime with which you are charged, Karis? I hadn't seen Jaws before, despite loving horror <gasps> movies. Shame. 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 So I, I let John know this and he immediately posted the Jaws DVD through my letterbox. 
Yeah, I've got I've got numerous copies. It's like um, I basically it, it's like Mandy. I have a stack of Mandy's to hand out to anybody. Inflict is the word you're looking for. Yeah, <laughs> I, I think I bought Jaws more time possibly than any other film. Is that because you keep forgetting you've already seen it? Yeah, <laughs> hang on, is this someone with a shark? Oh God, I've, I've already bought this one. Yes. <laughs> Excellent. So you have recently watched it for the first time, Keris. Let us know what you thought. I loved it. It was brilliant. There was a lot of tension being built at the beginning of it. Mm -hmm. And I have to say my favourite thing about the movie for sure has to be Quint. Yeah. You get a lot of value for money for Quint. Um, I love it when he's demanding apricot brandy the second that he gets the job. And that that scene with the chalkboard. (laughs) Yeah. Yes. So is it true he was drunk through some of the scenes in there? Very true. There was yeah. a brilliant Edinburgh fringe play that I saw a couple of years ago. I think it's called The Shark Is Not Working or something like that, which is a play set behind the scenes of Jaws because essentially they sat on a boat for weeks with a non-working mechanical shark and a very, very drunk Robert Shaw. <laughs> um, and Robert Shaw was played in the play by his real-life son. Oh who was an absolute spitting double of him when he had the moustache and the thing on and absolutely perfect voice, down to a T. And then at the end of the play, he goes, anyway, yes, thank you very much. It was a jolly good having you here today. And he's like, fucking hell, where did that come from? (laughs) Yeah, that famous Indianapolis scene is, uh, they had to shoot that again, didn't they? Um, (laughs) Because he was very, very, very tipsy the first time. And they said he he came back and did it very sheepishly the day after, by all accounts. Yeah. But he had a hand in writing that scene as well, because he was a, also he was a famous um, playwright as well as an actor. Anyway, sorry, we're getting into uh, behind the scenes. And uh, <laughs> yeah, we'd love to hear about um, yeah, your experience, Karis. Yeah, I just really loved watching Quint do his Quinty thing. There's a, there's a Quintessential thing. That's right, Peter. Uh, there's this brilliant moment where Quint asks Hopper to tie him a sheep shank. And he ties him a sheep shank. He immediately throws the rope down on the floor and grabs his hands and goes, you got steady hands, Mr. Harper. <laughs> At that moment, my wife and I immediately went, you have a woman's hands from uh, <laughs> Blackadder. That's Blackadder. Yeah. Yes. I got the giggles watching Quint, but it's such an intense character. My mom always tells me that Joe's scared the shit out of her. And I never understood that because I, I watch a lot of what I would say are actual horror movies. So I always thought, oh, it's just a, just a shark movie. The day after I watched Joe's, I went swimming in the sea because I'm part of a wild swimming club. And we go swimming in the sea in, in colour coats. And when I was out there, that's, that's when my mind started turning da-dup, a bit da-dup, 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 i've never yeah. been freaked out about being in the sea and i swim in the sea quite often i'm not afraid of it but after watching this movie it certainly made me feel like that there's there's definitely something about being out in the water in that vastness and not knowing what's under you yeah yeah absolutely i wouldn't even go in the swimming pool in australia i'm like your mum it's I, I watched it too young to be fair i watched it when i was about eight um which was a mistake um but it, it really really affected me from the first time i watched it so what did you think of the, the shark itself because there's some criticism that the shark looks fake and there was a lot of problems with the shark when they were filming it so it's in very quick sort of flashes except towards the end you, you see you see very little of the shark but when he's chowing down on quint at the end spoilers for a 45 year old film <laughs> <laughs> but that not being able to actually shoot the shark, if anything, made it into a much better film, didn't mm. it? Mm. In the way yeah. that they had to be more creative and suggest it in a much more Hitchcockian way than they might have done otherwise. Yeah, it became a much copied technique to not reveal the big monster until yeah two thirds of the way into the mm-hmm. film or, or film reactions first. It definitely upped the tension. I think that it was quite obvious that it was a an animatronic shark, but that scene where Quint dies I think it's just his acting his his reaction to that and mm. you know like they say acting is reacting that that was quite a grisly death and all the blood coming out of his mouth and the helplessness of it that's the one scene in the movie where I almost burst out laughing actually because I thought the shot really? looked so rubbish yeah mm. it was just purely it became almost comic because of, of the so obviously fake shark in that particular shot 
You laughed at Quint's death. I'm sorry, Shame I did. I'm a terrible person. Shame. <laughs> Shame. I, I don't mind the shark. I'm a proponent of practical effects over CGI. Uh, obviously, 1975 CGI sharks probably weren't quite the standard that they are today. Mm. But um, I've never had any issue in uh, when watching Jaws of, of believing in the shark, which I think is testament to the quality of the film and uh, the anticipation that's built up. If you look at it on its own, um, just a still of it or just a, a snippet of, of the scene, you look at the shark, then it'll probably come across as uh, a big dumb robot. But in context, it's always, always absolutely worked for me. Mm. They do use some real shark footage, yeah. don't they? Things like the sharks attacking the cage. There was two wildlife photographers who filmed some real life shark footage that was used in the film. And it's obviously very clear when that's used as opposed to the, the model shark. Has anyone read the book? No. No. It's not very good. It's, well, it's, I mean, obviously, it's a brilliant central idea, but there's some weird extra things in there. So um, in the book, the reason the mayor keeps the beaches open, the mayor was always my favourite character in Jaws until... Of course it was. <laughs> <laughs> the mayor in Jaws is just such a well-played, really funny, smarmy businessman. But in the book, he, the reason he wants to keep the beaches open is because the mafia are forcing him to, because he's uh, in hock to the mafia. Mm-hmm. It's one of a few books, The Godfather being the other one, where it's a really strong central idea, but not actually that good a book. What else, Karis? What else did you like? This shot of the sun going down and it's dark and they're in this boat out in the middle of the water singing and drinking. It's almost as if they're having a good time and then you realise the situation of what, where they actually are and what they're actually doing. There was just something about that that made me feel quite merry with them and quite happy with them. And then suddenly, with that shot, just a bit worried about them. I think that my favourite bit of the film is kind of around that time, but you've got the Indianapolis speech and also the, the comparing the wounds. Yeah. God. And just such richly drawn, beautiful characters. And that's what Spielberg does really well in his best films is you get all the action and spectacle, but you never forget the characters and the characters are always at the centre of it. Yeah, And that's what's missing, I think, in, in a lot of mm. modern blockbusters. Because, I mean, the thing yeah. is, you care much more about a character if you see those elements, mm -hmm. other than mm -hmm. it just being one special effect after yeah. another. Yeah, you yeah. care about their fate. Even just things where, like, near the beginning, um, Thode is sat at the table and he's playing with his kid and, like, looking between his eyes. And it just feels so natural, like, these are, these are a, a real normal people that this thing happens to. Mm-hmm. Mm when I finally get round to watching a classic film that's passed me by, uh, I often see little bits that I've absorbed from other parts of pop culture. Karis, did you find any bits, any lines, maybe you're going to need a bigger boat or something like that, that you thought, oh, yeah, it's in context now? <laughs> when that moment happened, I was just going, hey, to the <laughs> screen. You turned into the fonts. Just like that, leather jacket and everything. <laughs> Do you have a sense of familiarity going into the film? Because... You, it's, you must have just absorbed the basic plot and the characters just by osmosis, but it being probably one of the, the most famous films of all time. I was convinced that I already knew the story before I'd seen it because I'd heard about it so much. And then when I watched it, there was just a different sense of that, the, especially when everybody floods to the beaches and the, the beaches mm. are crowded and you've got children going into the water. Just had a brilliant way of building tension. The slap the mother whose young son died and she slaps Brody because she thinks that he knew that there was a big danger out there and still opened the beaches anyway. That is quite a moment. You feel every ounce of her pain as a mother yes. and her anger. So I, I think I may have a problem because I'm just, I haven't said this up and I'm just looking around my room and I can see a Jaws 4K Ultra HD desk, <laughs> uh, a Jaws poster, a signed copy of the, uh, the Jaws novel Two Jaws Funko Pops and a large coffee table book about the making of Jaws, mm. all of which just randomly laid around the room and most of the rooms <laughs> in my house are similar. You definitely have a problem. Didn't I give you a Jaws bath plug? You did, yes. It is, it is in my house. How does everybody feel about sharks? They're wonderful creatures. 
extremely I'm scared. I'm generally against them. <laughs> extremely scared of them. I think that they're misunderstood. They definitely are. And Jaws has a part to play in the uh, public's mm. opinion about sharks. And uh, after it came out, um, fishermen went crazy uh, having competitions, killing sharks. Aww. Coastal resorts were encouraged to, to kill as many sharks as they could. And it really has shaped popular mm. uh, opinion about what sharks are. They're seen as cold-blooded killers and they're, they're really not. They're just animals. They're very, very much not dangerous. Uh, you're more likely to be killed by your own trousers than you are killed by a shark. <laughs> if uh, sharks disappear, then marine ecosystems will collapse. And it's it's really, really actually um, a serious mm. issue that people see an excellent film of this sort and then think mm. that, um, that sharks are supervillains. Spielberg's apologised, hasn't he, for, yeah. for doing that? I mean, he tried to make a film called A Shark's Tale 2 um, <laughs> to, to make up Short for story but, too. But they're nice and cuddly. <laughs> to be fair to Universal Pictures, they did their best to redress this, um, mm. to try and make uh, hunting sharks look as lame and boring as possible by releasing Jaws 2, Jaws 3D <laughs> and Jaws 4. Yeah. I don't think it worked, though. It's hard to realise now how successful it was when it came out because it cost about $9 million to make. And it mm. made nearly $500 million mm. in box office. Which no one was expecting. No. Least of all the people involved. And Spielberg, when he shot it, he went 100 days over budget with all the various yeah. problems. Yeah. How many times did he get fired, John? I think twice. I think he got fired before they started filming and again during filming. Yeah. Ridiculous. There are some great documentaries behind the scenes um, of Jaws. Mm. Well worth checking out. How did you enjoy the music, Karis? Oh, the music was brilliant, yeah. It just really upped the tension. It's genius. Mm -hmm. Was that John Williams's first collaboration with Spielberg? Yes, it will have been, yes. Yeah. 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 I don't think, because Spielberg had only went, made one movie before, which was Sugarland Express, which I and, don't think he did the music for. Duel was Jewel. a TV movie, technically, though I think it was released in cinemas in some places. Like it was maybe, released yeah. in cinemas in Europe, yeah. It's incredible what you can do with just two notes. Mm-hmm. If you haven't seen it, I'll ruin his suspense for anybody who's listening in that you can tell whether it's the shark attacking or whether it's a fake out because the music only plays when it's an actual shark attack. But there is one exception, isn't there, where the shark attacks without warning, without the music? Uh, yes, well, yeah, but the bits where like, they're in the beach, it's the kid with a fin. Mm -hmm. uh, no, no, no music. Oh, yeah. So that, mm -hmm. That's a giveaway. Mm -hmm. What do you think of Brody? Yeah, he was a complicated character. Hmm. Very angry, very angry at himself. Are we supposed to sort of see the film through his eyes? Yes, yes, I think so. There's a moment where he's saying goodbye to his wife and you just get a sense of his fear. Mm -hmm. yeah. I thought the bit where Quint didn't put him through to his wife when they're on the boat, that made me think of the, oh yeah, you might not be coming back. And that was actually quite a nice touch. I never quite got Quint bashing the radio receiver with a baseball bat. It always struck me as slightly odd, if you watch it now, why they take the rickety old orca out to sea when <laughs> Hooper's got that big, massive boat that they take out earlier with all the shark mm. equipment and the sonar and the, <laughs> the poison spears. He's never said, well, why don't we take that boat? Because that seems to be much more suitable for a shark hunt. Well, Brody did keep suggesting it. Yeah. <laughs> Quinn's just like, no, no, I want, I want, I want this uh, rickety old old shack please put it this way if you had that nice boat having seen how the orca ends up would you want to have used it you have a better chance of living though yeah i mean what does quinn actually do he says oh i know how to kill the shark and he really he gets eaten and then the others save the day that was his plan all along yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so who got the ten thousand dollars that's what i want to know uh, I assume they split between them. The shark. The shark. <laughs> <laughs> it was in his wallet at the time. That was the... Uh... He, he was certainly in 10,000 pieces. <laughs> he became a loan shark. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Very good, Peter. I'm not proud of that one. You know the whole USS Indianapolis story? Yeah. Yes. Imagine if someone made a three-hour version of that story as an actual film. And starred Nicolas Cage. starred Nicolas Cage. Yeah. Would, would, you, would anyone like to see that? Hell no. That is a real thing, right? That is a real thing. USS yeah. Indianapolis, and it's awful. <laughs> Bizarrely enough, they, they, kind of, they do that bit, and then there's about an hour of them just arguing in court over it, like whether he did the right thing or not. It's a, it, an odd, odd film. How are the sharks compared to the shark in Jaws? Much more CGI. 
Mm. And much less scary as a result. Has anyone other than me sat through all the sequels? I haven't seen any of them. No. Michael Caine hasn't seen all the sequels. <laughs> no. Got a very nice house off the back of it there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so Jaws 2, Chris, you might enjoy. Jaws 2 is not bad. And it is a little bit of a slasher movie because it came out around the time of sort of Friday the 13th and Halloween and stuff. So you've essentially got a group of teenagers being stalked by the shark whilst Brody tries to save the day again. It's very much a retread of the original. Most of the cast are there, apart from Hooper's hand-waved away. And it's a retread, but a bit gorier, a bit faster, a bit sillier. But worth watching. Three and four, Jaws 3D and Jaws the Revenge are just awful, awful films. So Jaws 3D has Dennis Quaid as Brody's son. And it's set in SeaWorld when a shark, for some reason, attacks SeaWorld. And there's bits like where they're eating in an undersea restaurant and a shark smashes through the glass. And got some really fun 3D effects if you're lucky enough to see it in 3D. And Jaws 4, I can't even bring myself to talk about it. (laughs) (laughs) So how many copies of Jaws 4 have you got, John? I think I have a digital download of it somewhere. Basically, the shark tries to get revenge on Ellen Brody, who's the only surviving character by this point. Is it the same actress? It's the same actress, Lorraine Gray, yeah. Who was the wife of Sid Scheinberg, the yeah. um, just happened mm-hmm. to be the head of Universal Studios at the time the yeah. first movie was made. <laughs> I think it probably, you know, was nepotism in casting, but she's she's very good. In Jaws, not so much in, in Jaws the Revenge. But yes, she moves from Amityville to the other side of the country and the shark follows her. Did you say from Amityville? Is that another horror crossover? They should have done an Amityville Island horror. <laughs> that should have been the actual uh, title of the film. But um, Roger Ebert had a very good line because they were saying the idea of a shark who, as Andy said, is just an animal wanting revenge is nonsensical. And Roger Ebert said that was unfair because, like, you know, what shark wouldn't want to get revenge on the people that killed it? So does the <laughs> shark kind of um, melt into pieces and reassemble itself like Robert Patrick from Terminator 2? No, again, that would have been a better film. So it's a different shark. Maybe the shark just wanted to get revenge on the people who made Jaws 4. Yes. Ooh, meta. The, the thing is, with Jaws 4, you're on the shark's side. <laughs> <laughs> so, Chris, any other Jaws thoughts? I feel for the shark. <laughs> I think that the shark is deeply misunderstood and we should we should try and have compassion for it. That particular shark? Yes. Yeah, that the one that ate a lot of children and innocent people. Well, maybe maybe Jaws is the protagonist. I mean, I'd see that film. Maybe we're looking at it the wrong way. That annoying woman taking all her clothes off and splashing around in his <laughs> pond, yeah? Yeah. Okay, Kara, so... How many d d ds out of ten would you give Jaws? I would give it nine d d ds out of ten. We need we need to hear all nine. <laughs> okay. Go on. Da 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 da. Right. Nice. Oh, you've got to resolve that. Come on, make it ten. Da. There you go. Thank you. <laughs> Okay, so that's our show. Thank you so much for listening. We'll be back in a couple of weeks. Uh, do check out our various ramblings, insights and news on social media. We're at Nerdfest UK on Twitter and Facebook. And of course, do help us climb up the Everest that is the podcast rankings uh, with a positive review on iTunes. That would be... Crawling uh, most... past the frozen corpse of Skip to the End. <laughs> 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 uh, yes, and, and sorry, we love you guys. <laughs> they're, they're, they're very good. Um, Were, uh, oh, but don't worry, it won't be a completely selfless act because Mr. John Farthing has a reward for anybody who leaves us a review. What is it today, John? I will come and visit you with a copy of Jaws on the formats of physical media of your choice, and sit and watch Jaws with you. And I will whisper behind-the-scenes secrets in your ears. <laughs> I will tickle you at the scary parts <laughs> and I will soothe you as Quint is eaten. Excellent. And on that note, you've been listening to... A man who wants to see the Filipino cut of Justice League. A woman who is definitely going to adopt a pet shark. A man who may have misunderstood the idea of a Brazilian clone. <laughs> a man who has done surprisingly well for himself considering he is a human placenta. Oh, oh, oh. 
and a woman who has finally forgiven Emma Watson. We'll see you next time. <laughs> bye bye. Bye. You know, you couldn't actually adopt a pet shark because it's. Um, it, so if you wanted a great white, you couldn't actually keep it in captivity. Um, people have tried and it doesn't work. They go, they go insane. Am I missing a reference there? No, no, it's true. It's um, That's why the, you, you can't... No one's ever managed to successfully keep a great white shark in captivity. It's like Im- impossible. Oh, the shark do. goes insane. Yes, yeah, not the people. <laughs> <laughs> it's not like, I keep feeding it fish and I don't know what to do. <laughs> I don't feel safe getting in my bath on my surfboard anymore. <laughs>